Good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you for coming to worship with us. For those of you who are guests or new here, my name is Trevor. I'm pastor here. And again, I personally am glad to have each and every one of you here with us this morning. Um, one thing real quick before we get started. Uh, Russ didn't say so, but I want to, you know, shameless little plug for our Wednesday night things. Uh, we'll be starting again on August 30th. If you want one of the books to follow along with, uh, talk to either me or, or Paula, if you would, and we'll make sure to get you on a list and we'll get you a book for that. But uh, again, we'll start that back up on August 30th. We had a good time uh, going through last time, go through the book of Matthew. So if you want to be a part of that, strongly encourage you to be here on Wednesday nights at 6.30. But again, we're going to keep going. Um, there's something that I wanted to talk about this morning, and, and I, I was kind of struggling all week with what I was going to preach about and and all these different things, and this came up, and then I couldn't get it out of my head. So again, we're going to take a break from our study through John, just for one weekend here, one Sunday, and we're going to be in the book of First Peter. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and start finding that one. That one takes a minute. It's one of those little obscure ones in the back that people can't find very quickly, so you can start looking for it now. But um, it's just something that I haven't been able to stop thinking about, and, and I and I think it needs talked about more often than it is. Um, if any of you know me, and, and a lot of you have gotten to know me quite well, I don't, I don't shy away from much things. Um, the harder the topic is to talk about, uh, the more I'm probably going to talk about it. Um, this is one of those. It's not really bad. It's not crazy. It's not super in your face. But it's something that us, as the church, has to think about. We should be really uh, just visual in how we look at all these things. We should think about how we look to each other, how others look at us, all these different things. And I'm talking, this is kind of an in-house kind of a sermon, right? But again, that's what we're going to kind of look at. Because I'll say this, do we ever get stuck in the motions? Just kind of a day-to-day -day grind. We don't even know why we're doing it sometimes, but we do it. And that includes this. Do we get stuck in emotions? I go to church on Sunday simply because it's Sunday. I go to Wednesday night study simply because it's Wednesday night. We just kind of keep going, right? Or how about this? How often do we let things from the outside get to us? Let it get in our heads a little bit, right? Did that ever happen to anybody else? Because I know when I think about this myself, I know I don't like my answer. Because my answer to those questions is it's that happens far too often. We get stuck in motions. We get stuck in the routine. We let other people dictate our, our lives. We let other people dictate our happiness. They steal our joy simply because we let them. It's, it's plain and simple. But really think about it. I mean, really think about it. Because all those things will hinder our jobs. All that stuff, the motions, the routine, the letting other people tell us that we can or can't worship God or talk about God, all these different things, letting stuff get into our heads, letting things get to us, will again hinder the job that God has called us to do. Pretty important job. Because He's called us to accomplish certain things as well. And again, when we look at what our job descriptions are as Christians, it's a good-sized list, but if you kind of narrow it down, there's a handful of things we should do. We should be worshiping Him daily. We should be 
telling other people about Jesus so that they in tune can worship Him daily. But amidst all that, there's literally an endless gauntlet of distractions out there trying to keep us from doing that. A relentless supply of temptation that's literally waiting just outside those doors to keep you from doing those things. To keep you from Jesus. To keep you from worshiping. To keep you from telling others about God. There's an endless supply of that. And one thing I always want to say too, I think it's, it's worth our attention, our time, is that it's not always bad stuff that keeps us from God. It's not always bad things that pull our attention. It's, always, it's not necessarily evil things that draw us away from Jesus. It can be simply our lack of motivation. I mean, that was pretty easy. It's not wanting to get outside of our comfort zone, maybe. Because we all like comfort zones, right? Because they wouldn't call it comfort zone if we didn't like it. It'd be discomfort zone. And no one wants to be there. So we, we like to stay inside our bubble because there's air conditioning in our bubble. And in a refrigerator. What else do you need? But if, but if we leave that bubble, if we leave that comfort zone, we don't have that. We don't have the amenities anymore. We aren't surrounded by the people of God, so we don't feel like we can talk freely about God anymore. Because this is our comfort zone. Every, if I said, amen, right? Everybody go, woo, amen. But if I, we were outside in, say, the mall, and I said, amen, everybody would be about that loud. We wouldn't do it. We get outside of our comfort zone. And, and it can hinder all that we're doing. But again, lack of motivation, getting outside of our comfort zone. There's a thousand other ways to describe different stuff that can bother us. Thousands of other ways. We've all been in that place. It happens. We don't like it. But we get there. We get stuck in the motions, in a rut. Don't feel like doing something. And it's not fun, but we've been there. I want to give you a word real quick. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. But uh, I want to give you a word. It's typically seen as a good word, too. But it can reach its limits. And that word is contentment. It's good to be content. To be content with what you have. Know that it is what God has given you. It's like, awesome, thank you, God. It may not be what I wanted, but it's what you give me, so it's what I needed. That's a good thing, right? But it can also go in a different direction. It can go in a different direction. Are we content in our faith? And I mean like this. Do we think we know enough so we're good? Prayed enough to where I don't need to pray anymore. I'm good. I'm good to go. That I know God so good that I'm obviously better than you because I don't have to pray. And all of you should probably keep praying so one day you can get to my level. There are definitely people who think like that and we would call them Pharisees. That's right. But there are literally people today who think that. That we get to a certain point, we hit the mountaintop and now we don't have to do anything. My faith is perfect. And I hope no one here thinks that. Because if you do, I'm just full flat out saying you, could, you couldn't be more wrong. You could. 
We should be growing every single day. Just with contentment, though, it's good until it's not. There's a saying that uh, I used to have, uh, guys I used to work with used to say something. Every time they would try to fix something, they'd say, it'll work till it don't. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. All right. But that's kind of like what contentment is. It's good until it becomes something that hinders us. We should be content with what we have, but content in our faith, content in our walk with God, never, never. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes, 50 years, or 105 years, it doesn't matter. You can always do more. You can always learn more. You can always advance your walk with God, and you can always talk with Him and, and, and commune with Him more. There's always room to grow. It's good until it's not. But again, the opposite. Let's look at the opposite of this real quick. The opposite of that would be something like driven or covetous. Always wanting more of something. Not for God's glory, but more for ourselves. Needing more to show others, to show the world what we're made of, right? To show the world all these things. How good I am. And I will tell you that that, again, is a very slippery slope. It's a trap that we much must watch out for. And in thinking about all that, just to get into this main passage here, I hope you did. I hope you found it. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. And as you're turning there, as you're finishing up finding it real quick, I want to say this. The closer you are with God, the more that your walk with God is growing, the more you're walking closely and close, closer and closer with Jesus, the more you will probably understand some of this. Uh, if you're a newer Christian, and if, or maybe if your walk has been kind of drifty lately, I do pray that this will encourage you. But again, let's read this. Let's figure out a little bit more and let's dive deeper into the Word of God. I hope you're there. I hope you found it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. Follow along as I read aloud. Starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now, one thing I do like to do, and I don't typically like to just, uh, I don't want to call it cherry-picking, but cherry-picking passages and preaching topical sermons like this, I like to go through everything and we can see what's going on. And, and, and But anyway, uh, I have to explain a little bit more now. You're like, more? Jeez. But we see the word therefore. So if you see the word therefore, you always got to see why it's what it's there for, right? So that's so we have to look at that. So real quick, again, we look at this where it says, "Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God." So we have to look before. It means he was saying something. He was talking about something. Then it's how we keep things in context. So we know what's going on, and we don't just start 
putting out there whatever we want to hear from a passage. But again, he writes a short little stint here. He's talking to the elders in the church. He's talking to the church leadership. It's pretty quick. We can get over that pretty fast. And he ends it by saying this. <clears throat> All of you clothe yourself with humility towards with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. There he quotes Proverbs 3, 4. And here we are now in quick fashion. We know what the word therefore was there for. He's talking to leadership. And he's also saying the leadership should be talking to the church. And all of you, that's all of you, all of us, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Because again, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There, now we're all caught up, right? So now on to verse 6 and 7. As we look at this, it says, Humble yourselves again, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Verse 7, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. God has created each of us in a very specific way. One thing that I like to think about is he has gifted us all with something. If you are here right now, and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you literally not figuratively, literally have a gift that you can use for his glory and his kingdom. Some of us have multiple. I can look around in a room, and, and, and I know that there are a bunch of people here who have multiple gifts, do lots of cool stuff that I could never do. We use those things. We're called to do things for God, whether it's administratively, whether it's music, whether it's going to your jobs Monday through Friday and talking about Jesus, doing all sorts of crazy things. God has orchestrated it in a way to where each and every single one of us are used by Him. We're called to do things. Something that God has set up expressly for you to do. Think about that one for a second. How cool is that? That the God of the universe eons past knew that you were going to be born and live your life and he's like you know what i'm going to set this up in a way so that you in specific have these things to do and you're going to glorify me by doing it and if i want to take it just a little bit deeper that means the god of the universe was literally thinking about you in specific how cool is that i think that's amazing but he sets up things for us to do but what happens far too often is that we want certain things to happen. Not a God thing. We want what Trevor wants to happen, right? Or what Johnny wants. Or what Danny wants. We want what we want to happen. Maybe sooner than it should happen. Maybe, I don't know, easier. Than what is going on because some stuff's hard right some stuff's hard to get through sometimes we don't like being refined by fire but that's what it takes <clears throat> let me ask you this you don't have to like actually answer nothing but think about it do you trust i mean really trust god's timing <clears throat> are you hoping for something is there you, there's something that you really believe that god has Specifically for you, you know it. He's called you. You've prayed about it. Other people around you have seen the same thing. 
and it's just not happening? What's happening, God? What? I know that you have this for my life. How come it's not actually going? We're not, we're not taking the step forward. I've, I've hit a wall. What's happening? Right? I mean, you've honed your skill. You've practiced. You've worked. you struggled. You've poured your blood, your sweat, your tears into this thing that you know God has called you to do. And the results just aren't coming. Right? Has anybody been there? When I was first called to preach, to be a pastor, when God was first calling me to do these things, I didn't think it was ever going to get there. I mean, I've mentioned it before, and I've probably told this story before. But it was a train wreck. It was bad. I didn't think I was going to get any better. I didn't think that I'd ever be able to preach regularly, to have a chance to get better. I definitely didn't think I'd ever actually going to get to pastor a church. I was like, hey, this is going to be good. God has called me to do something. God's going to use me. Maybe. One day. Sometime down the road. What was realistically only a few months, maybe a year or so, before I started going into things, felt like an eternity. I didn't think it would ever happen. I felt like everything that I knew God had for me was a million miles away. Can anybody relate to that? You know it's there. But it just never feels like it's actually going to happen. But what I had to see, what I had to know, what I had to learn was simply, I was not ready. I wasn't. Not even close. And I'm humble enough now to know that. I wasn't ready at all. If I was in that situation, if I was in, say, this situation today, 10 years ago, it no good. Never would have happened. It wouldn't have worked at all. It just wouldn't. I was not ready to do, realistically, most of, not all, of the things that God was preparing me to do eventually. I wanted it on Trevor's time, but God's like, yeah, no. You're going to have to wait because I have to show you things first. I have to refine you. I have to knock off the rough edges at least a little bit to get you to where you need to be. There was a humbling aspect that had to occur, that needed to occur. But what I failed to see then, I do see now. And what I fail to see today, I hope at least in five years, ten years down the road, whatever it may be, I will see then what I don't see now. And we'll keep going because that's what God calls us to do. We can always grow. We can always learn more. We can always have a better walk with Jesus each and every day. But again, God was working and building me up, preparing me for things to come. Not just for a once-in-a-month chance, not just for an, a, a, a kind of a one-off chance at preaching, but for a lifelong service to Him. That couldn't have happened just willy-nilly, bang-bang, right? It wasn't going to. At least not with me. He would use me the same as He will use you in His time. Not my time, not your time, 
but on God's timeline. And often that's just simply not what we want. We want it on our time. And that's because of pride. Because of pride. We look back just a little bit here. Back up, uh, back in verse 5, it says, God resists the proud. Uh oh. <laughs> Anybody else have an issue with that? <laughs> in my opinion, and I think I can make a pretty good case for it, pride is the root of every single sin. Every one of them. No matter what it is. Because everything comes from me thinking I'm better, me thinking I know more than God, me thinking that God's word is not always correct, me thinking that my sin is not so bad because it's mine. Every sin we can think of, you can trace back to pride because it's all about us. And it's the easiest sin to fall into. Quite simply, it's the easiest one. Because as soon as we get it into our heads that it's okay because it's, because it's me, then everything's fair game. And we can start to justify anything with, that we want. But again, it's the easiest one to fall into. And again, what the, we looked at here, it says cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. We don't do that either. We don't cast our cares on him. In fact, we hold our cares tighter. We can, we can hold on to them because we like them. Because we think we can fix things. We think we're the only one who can fix things. We have to prove our worth. Right? Have you ever been around somebody who thought, you don't have to like point any fingers or nothing, but <laughs> have you ever been around somebody who thought they were really handy? Like, hey, I can fix that for you. Right? You know where this is going. And then you watch them fix something. Fix. <laughs> and by the time they're done, not only is it not fixed, but it's like completely destroyed. Again, we're not pointing fingers. But again, that's what we tend to do when we try to fix our lives ourselves. We get into this mindset that it's us. That we have to do it, right? And God's up there thinking, you're not handy. Stop trying to fix things. My God, I got this. He's like, no, you don't, man. Wow. It just gets bad. And then as I tell people, I like to talk about this, but you know, it's like, well, then I have to ask my neighbor for the, my, their ladder so I can get myself out of this hole I've dug myself into. And it's so bad. Because that's what we do. We try to fix things. But... We're not good at fixing things because it's a heart issue. Do we have any heart surgeons here? And even if you were, could you do it to yourself? Just something to think about. But I must fix me, right? That's pride. That I know how to do this or that. That's more pride. And we get stuck in this perpetual spiral of self-pride and this inflated ego and this inflated sense of self-worth. And it's not a good place to be in. It's not a good place to be in. He gives us a little bit of a warning about this in the next verse, which we'll get to in just a minute. But what we have to see is we don't have to be like that. 
It says, cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. Just do it. You know, I mean, we don't have to hold on to these things. We don't. We don't have to fix ourselves. And I literally mean it when I say this, but thank you, God, we don't because I know that I never could. Not even close. We don't have to fix ourselves. And as a pastor, as a Christian, and you can relate to most of this too, but as these things, don't we always think that we have to do more? Deacons, do you think you have to do so much more because you have a title? You don't have to lie. I mean, say it, right? You feel like you have to do a little bit extra. If you're a Sunday school teacher, don't you think that you have to do that extra step sometimes because you have some kind of title? No one has to raise their hand, but I will be the first one to say, yeah. Because, it does it say, oh, it doesn't say it up there today. Sometimes it says Reverend Trevor Brown, that rev part at the beginning makes me think, man, I better do a little bit extra. I got to rev it up. <laughs> I got I to do a little bit more. We think that we have to do so much more. That I have to do this. That I have to do that. That I have to get cleaned up. That I have to make myself look more. That I can never let anybody know I have any flaws. I need to fix this or fix that. And the real problem comes when I think that it's me that's going to fix a situation that I've already gotten myself into. Again, that's more pride. More pride. I think we all can relate to that in one way or another. At our jobs, at our, at our house, as a parent, as a kid, as anything. The situations will change, yeah. But the reality remains the same. The application is exactly the same. We are to cast our cares on Him. We are to cast our cares on God. No matter what. We're to pray about it. Seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and go into a situation with the humble knowledge of what God has called us to do, which we can only have by this, instead of having some kind of inflated ego or prideful self-worth, thinking that we can only fix it ourselves, and I definitely don't need the church to help me. Because that's literally the two options. And I guarantee it, be very honest with yourself. Think about it for five minutes. You've been in both those situations. You're like, okay, I'm going to do what God says, and I want people there with me. Or you say, I don't need anybody else. I can do it myself. There's not a lot of, not a lot of other options besides those two. I mean, they can kind of tentacle down a little bit, and you have different variances of them. But those are the two main ones. And if you're honest with yourself, and you really ask yourself, you've been in each one of those. And I'll just say this, which one worked out better? You don't need to tell me your answer because I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is. Which one worked out better? But again, here's the warning. Verse 8, it says this, Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. When the devil sees an opening, you better believe he will take it. Every time. Again, I like to say this. I want to make sure everybody's we're all on the same page. We're clear. If you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, He cannot take your salvation. Period. But He can harm your witness by getting in your head. He can. 
The devil can't read your mind. He don't know your thoughts, but what he is is a master of knowing humans. Because he watches. He knows our faults because he's seen them. He knows our guilts, all the things that bother us. He knows those things. And you better believe he's going to use it against you every chance he gets because he's going to say, hey, I know you know Jesus, but are you sure? No, yeah, I'm sure. But you did blah, 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 blah. He knows that? Am I saved? Can God save me from all the things that I've done? And see, now he's in your head and you're thinking about it. And you know what you're doing? You're now thinking about it. You're questioning God and you're also not telling the world about Jesus. And it happens that fast. He can get into you really quick. He will seize the opportunity every time it appears. And Peter writes this, to be sober-minded, to be alert. He's telling us to be on guard. <clears throat> Pay attention. Look, be visual. Think about all the stuff that's going on. But back to what we just talked about. Don't be prideful, but be humble. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, which is upward and outward, not inward. And that's what we have to remember. You know, does anybody here like word pictures and stories? I, I like word pictures. I like to take something and, and, and kind of create a picture. It helps me understand it. Help me think about it. And it helps me convey the message to other people I'm talking to as well. So I hope you like them. If you don't, um, you're going to like this one. And if you don't, there's a comment box in Paula's office. Just to address it to Paula or Johnny. I don't care either one. <laughs> but I do. I like word pictures. You ever watch those animal shows? Like uh, Animal Planet and stuff like that? Those are fun, right? There are people that they film all these herds of different kind of animals and stuff. So I want to paint you this picture. Okay, so right over here in this general area. There's a, I don't know, 150, 200, give or take, wildebeest, right? They're just hanging out over here, doing their thing. And one of them's kind of maybe over in this general area. He's just kind of wandering off. Just doing his thing, nothing big. Kind of off to the side, not thinking much about it, but he just kind of continues to graze. But the problem is, right over here, there's a lion. There's a lion, right? So he's up there doing his thing too. The wildebeest's head's down, drinking his water, eating his grass. And the lion is knowing, I'm going to get this guy. I'm hungry. I'm going to attack. So when the wildebeest doesn't pay attention, he's completely down in his head. Here comes the lion. Lion strikes, comes and attacks, right? But the lion knows that he can't go for the head because the head is thick and it has horns and all this stuff. It can protect itself. So the lion goes for the back legs. He must slow him down. He has to kind of cripple this wildebeest to some extent. And then another lion comes. And another one. And another one comes and jumps on its back. And it starts to systematically take this wildebeest down. Making it a strategic attack. Hitting the wildebeest right where it is most vulnerable. Not that strengths, but where it's vulnerable. And the lion devours it. 
church, th this is happening before our eyes to people, to people that we know. This may be happening to you right now. But I want to give you one more observation. Because one of the things I think about here was, first off, that we see this lion. He knows exactly what to do. He's paying attention. It's very strategic. He knows exactly how to attack, when to attack, where your weaknesses are, and he's got friends. And the second thing is this. I think it's something that a lot of us miss when we look, think about certain things. While this was all happening, while the lions were attacking this wildebeest, where were the other 150? Where were they at? Realistically, one of two things happened. Either they just went about their business because, well, that stinks for that guy, or they ran away. That's it. That's the two things that will happen if you ever see nature doing its thing, if you watch the animal planet. Either this group will bolt or, or they'll pretend like nothing's happening. They left the other wildebeest to fend for itself, to be attacked, to be killed. They did nothing. When in reality, if the whole church would, I mean, the whole herd, would have came down to aid the one, the whole thing would have been different. Everything would have been different. Every single bit of it would have changed. Do you follow? Do we understand? Do, do we just let it happen? When we see a brother or a sister in Christ being relentlessly attacked, do we just say, Nuts to you. Or do we run? Or do we actually come to their aid and be the, what's that word? Oh yeah, the church. And do what we're supposed to do. We let those we love, we let other Christians follow a path that leads to destruction. And the problem is, you know how we do it? We do it with such a sense of calmness. Ouch. And don't get me wrong, I'm not pointing fingers. This is me too. We do it with such a sense of calmness or we hightail it and leave our brothers and sisters to simply fend for themselves. I don't know about you, but I've never read anywhere in here where that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, I'm pretty sure it says the opposite but we're going to keep going here. Verse 9 again says this, Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. There are followers of Christ in, in all the corners of the world, everywhere you go, all over, who are going through the same things that you are, who are going through the same things that I am. You're not on your own. At least you shouldn't be. If that group of 150 church member wildebeests would come to your aid, you would never have to feel like that. We're not called to be Lone Ranger Christians. We're called to do this as a body. 
There's a reason why we're called the body of Christ, a very specific reason, and this is one of those reasons. We're not to do this on our own. We don't have to. Temptation is not unique to you. It's not unique to me. But there's a common sense of unity here that we know that there are people all over this world who are followers of Jesus Christ who are going through really hard things. Because you're going to find somebody one day who went through something the same as you, and you can have a camaraderie about that. And you can say, okay, let's get past this. Now we know what to look for. When we see somebody going through the same thing, we're not going to let them get destroyed and devoured by the lion, but we'll be able to come up with this person to lift them up, to build them up, and then keep the lions away. That's what we have to do. To resist the devil, to be firm in the faith. And those two things, to resist and to be firm, are impossible by ourselves. On our own, it will not happen. And even if we think we are, if we think we're getting it by ourselves, we become proud. Pride sets in. And the more our pride sets in, the more our weaknesses are exposed. And that just keeps happening. But in the community of believers, with those who are in the body of Christ, beside you, praying for you, lifting you up, building you up, and you doing the same for them, with those who are, again, in that body, those weaknesses, those apparent weaknesses become less. They're not so exposed. The big target on your side is now maybe smaller. And you have all your brothers and sisters there beside you. Our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously, to resist is much, much stronger. And there is power when we are part of one body. Plain and simple. Yes, many members with different skills, with different jobs, different haircuts, different skin color, different weaknesses, different strengths, different heights, different weights, different everything. But where I fall short, you will pick me up. And where you fall short, we will pick you up. That's what the church does. If someone falls, we don't kick them to the curb and let them be devoured. But we stand up for our brothers and we lift up and build up our sisters. When we have a brother that is failing, that is falling in danger of the lion, we as the church cannot sit idly by and let this tack ensue. Because if we did that, how on earth could we ever say that we actually ever loved that person? I don't think we can. It's the same thing for people outside of the church. If you're not willing to tell them the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ who is revealed in Scripture, how can we ever say we loved anybody? if we won't tell them the truth. Anybody can lie. But if you're going to tell them the truth, you must actually love them. Because as the church, as the body of Christ, we are strong and we can be bold. And when we are in the spot of the one being attacked, wouldn't you want the rest of the herd to come to your aid? 
I mean, that's pretty simple. <clears throat> we need the church, us, to start acting like the church. Knowing that Caesar is out there and he will kill us. And we must say, oh well. The early church went through that day in and day out. Different times, we don't have the kind of issues that they had in this country at this time. But we can still be bold and go out. The people of God start acting like the people of God. And the people of God need to actually start being the people of God. And when we do that, I promise you, I guarantee you that the shock waves from us acting like actual Christians will be felt far and it will be felt wide. So who wants to do that? Because I do. Proclaim loud. Without reservation. Without fear. Boldly proclaim the truth of God to everybody we see. And things will happen. God will be glorified. And you will be blessed because you're obeying God. Either in this life or the next, right? It's a win-win situation. But be bold. Stand up. Stand out. Be humble and stand firm. No matter what. Father, again, we thank you for everything that you do. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you would give us your word that we could dive in. We could learn more about who you are. And just thank you that we have that opportunity, that we can gather here, that we can talk about you, that we can have fellowship. And Lord, I do pray that we wouldn't be scared. We wouldn't be timid or worried. But Lord, we'd have a boldness that obviously only comes from you. That we'd take your word out and shout from the mountains, be a megaphone for you, Lord, and do something that would glorify you and maybe a little scary for us, but that would just glorify you all the more. But again, thank you for everything that you do. Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.